Gumption. Defined as initiative, aggressiveness, resourcefulness, courage, spunk, guts, common sense, shrewdness. Welcome to the podcast. This is Stories of Gumption with your host, Ryan Lee. Okay, here we go. Welcome to the second episode of the Stories of Gumption podcast. Conversations with entrepreneurs, creative thinkers, and just really, really impressive people. Believe it or not, we do have a sponsor already. So, we are sponsored by Open Gate Farmstead. A stone's throw from the mighty Osable River, Open Gate Farmstead is a first-generation farm specializing in free-range poultry, pasture-raised pork, and seasonal produce. The farm is run using a simple principle. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. You will find our chickens eating bugs on the pasture, our pigs enjoying a mud bath or some acorns, and if you're lucky, the geese will be enjoying the pond. To watch and experience the Open Gate Farmstead journey, check them out on you on their YouTube page, Open Gate Farmstead, or catch up with them on Facebook or Instagram. Reach out to them on social media to try the Farm Fresh difference. And here's the bonus. As a special offer for Gumption listeners, they're going to take a buck. Yeah, that's right. One dollar off of your first egg order. And personally, I get my eggs from Open Gate Farmstead. It's fantastic. They're great eggs. And it sounds silly, but they do taste better. And I'm a firm believer in that. So, Open Gate Farmstead... For listeners of the Gumption Podcast, reach out to them. Say you listened to, to the Gumption Podcast, and that's where you heard about it, and they will take a dollar off your first order of it. Excuse me, of eggs. So do it. It's awesome. Like I said, second episode. Really excited. Today, I am with Steve Frederick. He is the VP of Institutional Advancement at Clinton Community College, home of the Institute for Advanced Manufacturing. He's a good friend of mine. And I've known him for several years, but uh, really excited to talk to him today about his experiences with fundraising. It's an interesting topic that I think does apply to everyone in some way, shape, or form, and uh, certainly can learn something from it. So, Steve, welcome to the podcast. Ryan, I'm honored. The second podcast, and I'm your second guest on here, so getting goosebumps. Yeah, right. Thank you, sir. It's exciting. It's exciting. Thank you for being here. And I certainly hold you in high regard. Uh, and I think I've a- known you for more than a couple of years. I think you were 10 when I first <laughs> met you around the campfire yeah. at a Boy Scout campery. Yep. So that's yep. going way back. Oh, man. man. Good days. Good <laughs> days. And certainly, uh, for my own little plug to scouting, I, I think that's the beauty of scouting. You know, you build friendships. Lifelong friendships. Oh, yeah. It's a big family. And I think yep. there, there's more power to that than just... Uh, what people think the, the outdoor skills or whatever you know there's a family there with, is with scouting and quite frankly I'm glad they opened it up to girls yeah I, I mean, we'll get we'll get sidetracked here yeah, about yeah, scouting yeah. We, but we no I think it was a great move it is a family let the family camp together let the family learn and grow together spend family time together it's absolutely perfect. absolutely and and not to go too far on a tangent <laughs> but my uh from my experience as a director of the Boy Scouts for for several years, uh, the girls were showing up to camp. 
and the meetings and yeah. all that anyway. And it's great. You know, the family yeah. was there. Let them earn a badge and wear the uniform now. I agree 100%. But that's our opinion, and we'll we'll do another We'll do another show yeah, on that. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so with the Gumption podcast tradition, uh, I ask each guest to sort of tell a story that got them to where they are today, set them on the trajectory of what they do, uh, maybe not immediately in their first job, but sort of kind of set you up. Tell me a story about... Where you were, you know, Ryan. It's interesting. I no one ever. I don't think anybody actually wakes up and says, "I'm going to be a fundraiser." I'm, that's what I'm going to do for my life: is be a professional fundraiser. I don't think that happens very often. I think you kind of fall into it. And in my case, I guess I kind of started at a really early age in trying to promote, sell, work with people. Uh, was, yeah, I'm thinking way back to when I was five or six years old. I lived on this little back country road. Maybe one car an hour would go down this road. And I lived on a, uh, on a kind of like a family farm. We had this big gravel pit in the back. And my father would be always taking gravel out. And I'd run around. I'd pick up these pretty shiny rocks, little rocks, different size rocks out of the gravel pit. And I thought, boy, somebody's going to want to buy these rocks because they're so beautiful. So I set up my little card table at the end of the driveway. And again, you could lay down in that road for an hour and a car won't go by. Set up my little stand, had my rocks laid out there. Not a single sale after about a week, not even a mercy sale for some five-year-old <laughs> sitting at the end of his driveway trying to sell rocks. So what was interesting, though, I was not really deterred. It actually occurred to my five-year-old brain that, well, obviously, there's no market for rocks here in West Jay-Z, New York. So I let it sit for a while. And then later on, I was discovered an old boat my father had in the woods of our house. It was full of water and had these little polywogs swimming around. Little baby frogs had just hatched. There you go. So I thought, boy, everybody's going to want a pet frog. So I scooped out these baby polywogs. They look like a little tadpole with a little yep. leg sticking out. And I had a whole all my mason jars lined up on my little t- a card table at the end of the driveway waiting with a sign saying polywogs for sale. Well, you would think somebody would maybe even have mercy on this young kid and buy, no, not, buy a, si- one not a single sale. <laughs> not one. <laughs> and in fact, the sun heated the water up too hot in the mason jars and killed all the polywogs. Oh, boy. So after a few days and no, no more live polywogs, it occurred to me, well, obviously there's no market right now for polywogs out there. So undis- you know, not undeterred. The following year, we planted a garden, and we had strawberries. Ooh. So I had these freshly picked strawberries. And my father cut out a, out a piece of plywood, an outline of a big strawberry, painted it red, put that in the driveway, and guess what? I started selling strawberries. <laughs> so after the third time, <laughs> I go. finally found a market for something people wanted. And yep. I actually, as I recall, was able to save up enough money to buy my first bike. Oh, awesome. With my strawberry sales. So that kind of started a lifelong interest in selling, communicating with people, trying to solve problems together, trying to say, hey, this might make your life better having a nice big strawberry. Yeah. So I understood why the rocks and the polywogs didn't... uh, didn't sell very well. Especially if they were dead. Yeah, the, that, that's not good the, for the market. The, you're trying to sell. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yep. Depreciation. You could have fed value. their cat with them or something. <laughs> but, uh, cat food for sale. Cat sh- food. Yeah, yes. It depends on the marketing. So flash forward. 
you're a North Country guy, grew up in, in northern New York, and now you work for Clinton Community. Tell me about how that happened for you, whether yeah. you, you, you know, you said you fell into fundraising. I actually fell into higher ed altogether. I mean, I was a horrible student in high school. I mean, really, I, I worked on a farm uh, after school. I worked late. I worked weekends. I loved playing football. I played sports. Academics was really low on my totem pole. And I really struggled with math. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, this is back in the 70s. I probably could have been diagnosed with some kind of a learning um, disability for math. Uh, yeah. Maybe, I guess. Maybe. But you know what? Maybe not. I, who, I, knows? I, who knows? So I struggled through high school. I was like a 69 high school average. I mean, horrible. Uh, really, I consider myself fortunate to even graduate. So at the time, I never would have guessed. Yeah, that. people wow. are surri- uh, Look at you now. Well, yeah, <laughs> who'd have thunk it? So it. So my choices were: stay working on the farm, yeah, join the military, or go to college. Uh, those are my three choices. Well, I uh, interesting. I applied to the college, and I got rejected not once, not twice, but three times. I got rejection letters Oof. in the mail. Three strikes, you're Three out. Three strikes, you're out. And it wasn't Clinton Community College. I didn't even know. I would have been a perfect community college student. First generation, needing extra help. But it, I never. my high school guidance counselor never even pointed out that that was an option. So I'm proud to say, um, finally, on my fourth try, I went in person and groveled at their feet at Plattsburgh State University, and they let me in under a special program. It was for high-risk, first-generation high school students. Uh, they let me in provisionally. I had to once-a-week counseling with an advisor. Um, it was actually an amazing opportunity. And within a, within a semester, I became an intern in the admissions office at Plattsburgh State. Wow. So I actually, my minor and my electives and my independent study, I spent four years, three and a half years, working in the admissions office at Plattsburgh State. What, what was it that... I feel like I feel like for the average person it would have been really easy to say, "Well, college isn't for me. Back to the farm. I didn't get in after try 2 or try 3." Yep. You know what happened? Here's what happened. My two favorite all-time favorite high school teachers Two, two fellows who are, I won't mention their names, but I absolutely adored and loved them. They're my favorite teachers. So when I finally announced and showed them my acceptance letter to Plattsburgh State, they took me into their back room and they started laughing at me. And one said to the other, hey, Steve, we both have bets how long you'll last. He goes, I don't think you're going to last one semester. And Mr. So-and-so doesn't think you're going to even last a year before you quit. They said that to you? They said that to me. I mean, it was like a senior in high school. A senior in high school. It was like someone hitting you between the eyes with a hammer. I was so mad. I spun out of that room. I swore I will never talk to them again. And I'm going to prove that I can do this. So I would see them throughout the next four years. I see them at parades. I see them at the grocery store. I would turn the other way. I wouldn't look at them. I wouldn't talk to them. I was so mad. And every time over the four years I got frustrated and I thought about quitting, I thought of them. I'm like, there's no way, no way I'm going to give them the satisfaction of me quitting. So when I finally graduated, four years later, I grabbed that bachelor's degree diploma. I went back to my high school, walked into their room, slapped it on the table in front of both of them, and they started to laugh. And it was only then and there that it occurred to me what they did. 
<laughs> they set, you, they yeah. set me up and they laughed wow. and the look on my face and the feeling that went through me saying, you guys set me up and it was because of them. I swear to this day, it was because of them. Wow. I did not quit and I saw through it. So I actually graduated with a 2.7. Who'd have thunk of that in college? Wow. So then I wanted to apply to grad school. You need a 3.0 to get into grad school. I had a 2.7. Mm-hmm. Same mm-hmm. story all over again. So to make a long story short, I did get into grad school. had a grad assistantship. I was a hall director and uh, uh, I covered tuition for grad school and room and board. And um, I actually graduated with a 3.95 GPA with a master's degree. Wow. Because I figured out how to do it. Yeah. So from high school to my first four years of college, to my last two years of graduate school, I finally figured out how this whole higher education works. What were your degrees? Uh, my undergraduate degree was in political science. I had this uh, notion that I might want to try going to law school one day. And then I took one look, because I'm very interested in politics, very interested. I'm a political junkie. Then I took one look at that law school entrance exam. No way. There's <laughs> no way I'm going to sit through and take this exam. Yeah. But I really fell it's in love. Intense. Yeah, it is intense. Things happen for a reason. But because I was a hall director and I worked in campus life and activities and admissions and, and career planning, I loved working at a college. So lo and behold, that's been my career is working at a college in one capacity or another. And so how did you pivot from SUNY Plattsburgh to uh, Clinton Community? Well, it's interesting. I was, uh, when I got, when I freshly received my master's degree in student personnel, I thought, here's my chance to get out of the North Country. I got a master's degree. I went to a national conference. I had interviews with about 12 or 13 different campuses as far away as uh, Tulane University. I flew down to Tulane, interviewed for a hall director, coordinator job, was offered the job. Uh, UConn, University of Washington, Ohio State, I actually applied for and got offers from these schools. But Wow. Look I, at you. Yeah, but I didn't take them. Because at the same time, I had an offer to stay at Plattsburgh State in their career planning and placement office. And I decided, you know, there wasn't that much money to stay, so I just stayed. So I stayed at Plattsburgh for a couple of years. Uh, I was on a grant. The grant ran out. And then I took a job at Clinton Community College as the director of career planning and placement. So this is great. I'm 26 years old, and I've met my goal. I wanted to be a director of a career planning and placement office. Wow. Yeah, it was great. I did it for two years, but then I came down with this highly contagious disease. It's called the grass is greener on the other side of the fence syndrome. I was getting mad because I was placing two year nurse, two, uh, nurses with a two-year degree in nursing and jobs making more money than I was. So I thought, this is crazy. So I secretly studied for two years and I got my securities licenses. And I quietly studied, got my Series 6, 63, 67, all those different licenses. And I actually decided at that point to leave higher ed, which is all I've ever known. And I, for seven or eight years, for seven years, I went in the financial services business. For a guy who yeah. did not like math. Yeah, yeah, is that funny how that that's, works around? That's crazy. Yeah. My wife uh, has a, uh, she works at SUNY Plattsburgh, and she has a, uh, a, poster or a uh, whiteboard in her office when students come to meet with her that says the grass is always greener where you water it oh i like that yeah i like that i like that yeah a lot i do too. but 
the grass happened to be greener on the other side in it this did. case. It did. So I did. I went and did that business. I, I want to know what it was like to be in the corporate world. I want to know what it was like to swim with the sharks. You know, I did that for eight years, and I was good at it. I liked it. But after eight years, I didn't love it. It occurred to me one day. I just, I don't love, I can't look you in the eye and tell you I love what I do. What I loved and what I missed was working out of college. Mm-hmm. So an opportunity came in 2001 to take a job back at Clinton Community College where I had left to be the dean of development and that's to raise money for the college. So I threw my name in the hat. They offered me the job. I took it and I started on January 2nd of 2002 as the head fundraiser for Clinton Community College. Now in hindsight, the the eight years I spent in the financial services world was excellent training. Taught me sales. How to, oh, sales. Taught me how to prospect high net worth clients. Taught me how to close the deal, how to manage people's assets, how to ask for referrals. That's how I survived. So I could not possibly have had better training to do what I do now than what I got in the corporate world. Because in, in higher education, there's no training to go be a fundraiser. There's, no, there's a couple conferences, but there's no training. I mean, there's nothing more motivating than say, if you want to eat this week, <laughs> you got to make your phone calls. Mm-hmm. You got to manage your book of business. That's highly motivating um, yeah. than a salary job that I have now. But a very, very good training. Things happen for a reason. Yeah, yeah. So, so you you lived that world. I did, and, and I and no regrets. No regrets. No regrets. Never look back. No regrets. Now you're in the fundraising world, which I've lived that world briefly. About five years. With the Scouts. With the Boy Scouts. And um, certainly great training for me and where I am now in the business insurance world. Yep. But they're different. They are different. Absolutely. um, The thing that I always think of with fundraising, you know, you can can avoid a job in sales if it's not for you. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. But if you want to be active in your community or maybe you have kids someday or um, you know you want to volunteer chances are the skill of fundraising is relevant to you you don't have to be the VP of institutional advancement right. at Clinton Community College to care about fundraising but I would I, I would agree to that I would also say the bottom line to any fundraising it's relationships. And that's the same yep. for business. It's the same for whatever you, I don't care what it is. It, it's all about relationships. So one of my favorite books is relationship fundraising. It's it's not, let's go in and let's try to do a quick sale and try to get a, you know, you gave me a hundred dollar check. I got a hundred dollar gift and it's, we call those go away gifts. Yep. Here's a hundred bucks, go away. That's not philanthropy. There's a whole different world about that. No. So it, it's all about building relationships. And again, Ryan, like you said, doesn't matter if you're what what line of work you do. Almost every one of us has to work with a team and build a relationship. Your son or daughter will probably, if you have one, if you have a, a child today or a teenager today, or you might in the future, they're probably going to come home with a pizza kit, and you're going to have to help them sell. Oh, yes, <laughs> and sell uh, wrapping paper at the Explain holidays. Explain yes. the connection between the money raised from those pizza kits or whatever yeah. to what they're raising money for. Now, I know that's probably the most unexciting version of fundraising but but you know what it is it's trying to fill a gap i mean obviously the funding levels i can go on and on about this the level of funding we get whether it's in 
elementary school, middle school, high school, college, it's, it's rapidly decreasing. So everybody's having, we didn't do fundraising like that when I was a kid in high school. Yeah. Now they have to. Why do they have to? They're not trying to make them little salespeople. They're trying to fill a gap. They need money to go to a field trip. They need money to go to the prom. Replace I mean, textbooks. Absolutely. Or, yeah. So it's, it's, it's fulfilling a need. So I get it. I get it. So I still got lots of wrapping paper in the closet. And so Bo- Boy Scout popcorn. I did eat that. I did eat <laughs> the Boy go. Scout popcorn. There you go. Uh, so you started selling rocks. Yes. Now you and dead, sell and dead polywogs. And you sell the experience of Clinton Community College. Yeah. I, I, I guess I ask people to consider investing yeah. in their community college. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have found success. I'm not asking you to buy anything. I'm not asking you for anything. I, I, I just ask people to consider, it's my favorite word, would you consider supporting your community college? That's it. I didn't ask you for money. I didn't ask you for any particular amount. I just said, would you consider supporting your community college? It's pretty non-threatening. And nine and a half point nine 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 times out of 10, Sure. How can we do that? What's the best way to do that? I want to talk a little bit more about your strategies because this might resonate with people. Mm-hmm. Um, you lived in the corporate world. I assume you had to cold call. <laughs> I was supposed to cold call, but I'm proud to say I never made a cold call in my life. I never have. I. I what about the, a lukewarm call? I've had some lukewarm. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I know this podcast is about gumption. I can never get up the gumption to pick up and call a perfect stranger. I've never, but I did once when I was not in the financial services, but in, in, in the fundraising capacity at Clinton Community College. I was given a lead by a faculty member who said, look, my cousin has done very well for himself and his wife has done very well for themselves. You ought to call them. Um, I think they would be interested in supporting the college. So I did. I did make, they actually lived down south, never met them. Uh, I knew their family members, you know, distance, but didn't know them. So I did, that's about as close as I ever came to a phone call. And I said, your cousin sent me, your cousin made me call you. Lukewarm. Yeah. And they laughed. And, you know, it's all about relationship fundraising. And it took five years of working with these people, visiting with these people, talking to these people, getting excited about the college. Um, they're both graduates of the college. Yep. And, you know, they made some smaller gifts and supported some scholarships. And But at the end of five years, they made a major gift commitment of $200,000. Woo, there you go. To Clinton Community College. That's um, an investment. That's a huge investment. So, yeah, that wasn't a... Uh, that was a lukewarm call, I guess, if you want yeah. to call it. So it's safe to say you... Maybe use the word loathe, cold calling. Oh, yeah, loathe. Couldn't do it. <laughs> the only thing I hate worse than cold calling is taking a test. And I think that relates back to high school and why I didn't do academically well academically. I yeah. didn't do well in any of my exams. I have, like, I clearly have a test phobia. You know, the older I get, it's more common. You can talk about either a learning disability or I have a clear test phobia. It's the weirdest thing in the world. If I'm in a room, we're taking you and I, are, and 200 of us are taking the SAT exam. When they say pick up your pencil and go, it's the Daytona 500. I have to be <laughs> the first one in the room done. Yeah. Have to be. I don't care what it is. And if somebody gets up first and is done, I'm done. I can't even go on. I can't even go on and read the rest of the questions and answer the I'm done. 
I'm done. Just mentally, mentally checked out. done. I don't care any exam I've ever taken. I've got to be the first one done. So I've actually sat for my notary license, and and then the proctor said, "This is a two-hour exam. You got two hours to do it." So when he said go, it's the starting line of the Daytona 500. I finished it in 20 minutes. Wow. I walked up. I turned it in. He goes, what's the matter? I said, I'm done. He said, you can't be. It's impossible. I said, I'm done. Did you want to go back and check your answers? Nope. I'm done. And I walked out. <laughs> I passed. So it's funny. When I did my, seri- my, my securities exams. Yeah, I was going to say, those are not Well, uh, I will forever exams. be grateful for the woman at the, at the Sylvan Learning Center in Vermont. She said, look. There are like a few other people in this room. They are not taking the same exam. They're taking something entirely different than you. Uh, you are the only one in this room taking this exam. Okay. I was fine. But if you and I are taking it together, it's mm-hmm. a Daytona 500. Yep. I'm going to beat you across yep. that finish line. I don't yep. care if I fail. I'm going to beat yep. you. So anyways, that's kind of weird. It's, it's interesting to hear your, your philosophy on cold calling because I, I feel like if you're, I don't know. I'm kind of, in the world of for-profit business, especially as it pertains to commercial insurance, I feel like it's different and old school is still relevant. I think some old school tactics still work the best Mm -hmm. because we live in a world where nobody enjoys that. So it's almost, if you do it right, in my opinion, it's the handwritten note yep. that nobody's yes. doing. Because uh, if I call you yes. and you don't know who I am, but I'm not asking you to make a buying decision or any make you any commitment, yes, I'm just saying, hey, it's Ryan, and I'd love to meet you. Yeah, I'm here. I'm available. Yep. And that, and maybe throw in one little line that because shows you did your research yep. about and you care, and it's uh, more than it's more than a transaction. You're now drifting into relationship fundraising, whether it's relationship, yes. whether it's fun, relationship, fill in the blank. Um, when you're establishing yourself in business, or in my case, fundraising for the college as a business, it's building relationships. And if you do it right and you set those roots, you will have long-term relationships. It compounds. And I know these. you can use these relationships to open up the next relationship or land the close on the next relationship. Tell me about how you've done that. Well, I've always asked people, well, going, you know, be kind of a cliche. I learned a long time ago, you're born with one mouth and two ears, use it in proportion. So I've gotten very good at listening to people and, and learning when to shut up. I also have a kind of a decent semi-photographic memory. If you tell me a story, Ryan, I'll remember it. And now I'm a little bit older. I'll write it down somewhere. But I start building pieces of the puzzle. Every time we talk, I'll add another piece. You'll give me a piece of the puzzle without ever realizing you just gave me another piece of the puzzle. And I'll build my own portfolio, mental portfolio on you. But you can't quote unquote uh, solve the puzzle or get the gift without all the pieces. Exactly. So that, Multiple touch points. that leads to the point where you don't get married on the first date. Most people have a courting process. It's called dating. It's called courting. Very few people ever get married on the first date. So there is no science behind when do you ask somebody, A, to get married, or B, to make an investment in the college, or C, when to sign on to become a client of your business. It's a gut feeling. It's an art. It's not a science. Um, no one's ever has able to written the book. Is it six touch points, eight touch points, 10 touch points? 
years ago, I was listening to a bunch of uh, books on cassette. This is how old I am. They were on cassette tapes, Ryan, back then in the car. Nice. And the, the, the speaker was saying, it's called the Rule of 66. I'll never forget this. And he said, the Rule of 66 is when you go in for the first time to meet with a prospect, a donor, a prospective business uh, a customer, you walk and you look around that office. And if you can pick out 66 things about that person's personality, then you're ready to go and ask for the sale. Wow. Yeah. So sitting in your office right now, Ryan, I haven't picked out 66, but I picked out quite a few. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What did I see? You have a beautiful frame certificate from Barack Obama congratulating you on your wedding. Yep. You've got a guitar in the corner. Yep. You've got a golf club. You've got darts. Yep. You've got some high-tech stuff. I mean, the idea is that you know, the whole corner with all your golf balls lined up. Yeah, right. <laughs> so in theory- I'm a golfer, for sure. So, and I taught people this. Do the, do, soak it in. You can usually tell if somebody's married. You can usually tell if they have kids. They have pictures of the kids, pictures of their favorite sporting team, their music, where they went to college, their diplomas. It's amazing. So the, the, the premise of the rule of 66, it's not hard and fast. The point is, how many things can you pick up about a person just being in their office, their home, their environment? They will put out there mm-hmm. all their personalities, all their likes and dislikes because they're proud. And if you can remember those things and then go back and have a conversation, hey, Ryan, boy, I see you love to play golf. Hey, Ryan, you know, I see you love to play music. It, it, believe me, it helps to build what we talked about earlier is relationship fundraising. It's building that relationship. Well, I also found too, and I'm sure you've found this, that at least in the fundraising world and especially in any kind of sales capacity, if you're doing it right, it's not a transaction. You are solving a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your business and my business is the same thing. It kind of leads to a funny story. Most fundraisers are, tend to be pretty good storytellers. So I had, I'll, I'll tell a story about a physician friend of mine. Yes, bring having, it on. Having lunch one day, funny, just a funny character, retired physician. And uh, he was saying, oh, Stevie, he said, I have an airplane. Uh, I, I, I've had this airplane for, I haven't flown it in 10 years. And I said, well, well, and he goes, my wife wants me to sell the airplane and put an addition on the house. Because I don't want an addition on the house. I said, well, what are you doing with the airplane? Don't you pay rent? Yeah, I pay $350 a month to store it in a hangar. I said, you've been doing that for 10 years on an airplane that you don't fly? Yep, yep, yep. I said, will it even run? Probably not, was his answer. <laughs> it needs a little work. Yeah, it needs a little work. So I thought about it. I said, you know, well, why don't you consider, favorite word. Mm, it's a good word. Donating. Almost as good as gumption. Gumption. But- Consider, consider donating that airplane to the Plattsburgh Aeronautical Institute where young up-and-coming mechanics can use your airplane to learn how to become a mechanic. I said that way when you donate it to the Plattsburgh Aeronautical Institute, you'll save $350 a month paying rent on a hangar on an airplane you don't use. You'll get a nice tax deduction for the value of the airplane to a local educational institute. And when you're all done, your wife doesn't get the apartment, the addition on the house. <laughs> he says, I love it. Let's do it. So he did. He, he did. End up, and I can walk in the, the yep. institute and I can see his airplane yep. that the students are working on. So, so we talked about philanthropy can solve a problem. Yep. It really, it's not about give me a hundred bucks and I'll go away. 
It's not getting that phone call. We talked about earlier about people cold calling you from XYZ nonprofit or your mm-hmm. former college. You know, will you give me $10? Will you give me $18.95? Yeah. If you'll go away, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. That's not philanthropy. Philanthropy yeah. says, I want to help this institution. I want to help solve a problem. And at the same time, philanthropy can solve a problem for the donor. You know, reducing their taxes, um, uh, helping to spend down an estate. I mean, it really is a magical thing when it works out well. I think it's also uh, a desire of those who are giving their dollars to feel like maybe even if they don't have a large gift or small, they have some level of buy-in. Yeah, I call it ownership. Or engagement yeah. or ownership. You're a stockholder. I'm, yeah, you donate to NCPR, yeah. you say... I'm a member. I'm a member. I'm proud there's, of it. There's, yeah, there's I'm some. I'm proud of it. And and you got to give that to them. You do. And I think, and then people feel like they're part of the institution. And they love it when you call and ask them for advice. They feel, and they're, they really feel involved. And I've been to a lot of panels. They're called the Millionaire Donor Panel, where there's a panel of five or six or seven or eight people, each of whom have given well over a million dollars in their life. And it's an opportunity for fundraisers to ask them questions. And what they say is, look, we are already committed to your organization. Come back and ask for more. And there's one lady, I'll, I'll never forget it. She was, you know, a, a nice little old lady, probably late 80s, early 90s. Um, uh, she said through a room full of fundraisers, she says, you know, I'm sure all of you work for very fine organizations. But if you call me, I'm probably going to say no. The reason I'm going to say no is because you have not found the key to my heart. She said, the key to my heart is orchestra music and airplanes. Well, the whole place just fell silent. You could have heard a pin drop. And she says, the reason I love orchestra music is in the 1940s, I was first clarinet for the Philadelphia Philharmonic. That's pretty impressive. That's very impressive. And my whole life, I've been a musician, and I love music. If you come to me and ask me to support anything that's musically related, I'm yours. I am yours. And airplanes, my husband was a fighter pilot in World War II. If you have an air museum or some educational museum or anything to do with airplanes, my husband passed away, I will, I'm yours. Now, does it mean that whatever other organization you represent is bad? That's fine, but I probably will say no. But if you come, if you know what the key to my heart is, I'm all yours. So I think in relationship fundraising, people will give you little pieces at every meeting. Mm-hmm. If you put the piece of the puzzle together, you'll find the, the key to their heart. Mm-hmm. And then once you find that, they may or may not be the right person for your organization. But if they are, then you've got a great, partner to work with. That's awesome. Yeah. I can think of a, uh, just reflecting on my own experiences. Uh, when I was with the boy Scouts, the most money I ever raised was when I could attribute it directly to something that was helping a kid get to camp Mm -hmm. or an improvement at summer camp, because that's a direct, uh, connection to the heart. Absolutely. Because all of a sudden you get the right person, uh, who's thinking about it? They're on the fence, and all of a sudden, you mention camp or you tell a story. 
You Game tell, over. You tell a story, and like I said earlier, most fundraisers, most good fundraisers are good storytellers. Since we're little kids, we go to bed at night by somebody reading us a story. As adults, you read books. Well, we still love storytelling, so let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about, in your case, young people going to camp. Uh, in my case, young people struggling to get an education, trying to break that cycle of poverty. Maybe it's the single mom with two kids at home, a husband on disability, and she's tired of working retail. She wants to become a nurse. She doesn't have the money to do that. Well, guess what? The return on that investment is going to pay off. Because mm-hmm. someday when you get wheeled into the emergency room or the hospital and that same woman is taking care of you, that's a huge return on your investment. Mm-hmm. So it all comes down to having good stories to tell. Mm-hmm. True stories. There's nothing. We don't need to make anything up in our world. We have great true stories, human interest stories, and people quite often will want to help out. That's awesome. What's, what's, uh, you may have already told me, but do you have the story of the largest gift or one of the largest gifts yeah, you've, yeah. you've ever? Cause yeah. I, there's a different conversation going yeah, on between a, a smaller gift and the big one. Well, it goes back to, you asked me earlier, how, you know, making cold calls. How do you find people? I hate making cold calls and I still won't do it. But I was at a conference early in my career, maybe six months into my career. It was early, must have been early summer of 2002. And I'm at a meeting in Albany, and the speaker was saying, kind of chastising everybody in the room, fundraisers. We're all from different colleges. He said, you fundraisers, you guys spend more time out trying to find a brand new donor. You spend time trying to tell them who, about your college and educating them about what you do and the people you serve to maybe, maybe get a gift. He said, I'm going to challenge you to go back and dig into your databases. You all have these databases and find somebody who has given consecutively six, seven, eight, nine, ten years in a row. He said, I don't care if it's $10. That person already loves you. They know what you do. They know your organization. This works for any organization. It could work mm-hmm. for the Boy Scouts. It could work for the Humane Society. It doesn't matter. It works in business. It works in, in, in business. In for-profit business. Absolutely. You have customers. You've got a customer. Yep. So, so, so anyways, I thought about that, and I thought, I never heard of this report. So I asked my assistant, can we run a consecutive giving report? She said, yeah. She figured it out. Handed me the paper, and I'm scanning down through it, and it came across a name of a local businessman who had been donating $500 a year to Clinton Community College every year since 1986. That's a consecutive record. So clearly, this person loves Clinton Community College. I don't need to go tell this person anything about the college, but I didn't know this person. So using my board members, they happened to arrange for a lunch with with this businessman. And I'm pleased to say, I'll say it, everybody knows George Moore. George Moore is a local businessman. He passed away a couple years ago from Keysville. Never graduated from high school. World War II vet. Came back after the war and started a metal recycling business. And he was smart. He was savvy. He invested his money. He grew his business. And when I first called him, it was kind of a semi Maybe I called yeah. Luke. I didn't know him. Yeah. I called him to come up and ask for lunch. He goes, how much money do you want? <laughs> you smart. I said, he knew exactly. He I said, zero. He goes, what do you yep. mean? I said, I want you to come up and meet the college president and have lunch with us. 
We're no, no money. That's he, the difference. Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. that's the difference I think and why I operate the way I do. I certainly have a lot of improvement to always do, but the difference between a high performer and an order taker Absolutely. in fundraising and sales, yep. the order taker or the desperate fundraiser salesperson Absolutely. would have said any gift, any gift that's meaningful to you. Right. In that they were just oh George Moore, yo, any gift that's meaningful to you. Absolutely. But you gotta you gotta double down yeah. and you gotta say, I just want to meet you. I exactly. I what don't I want said. anything. I want to meet you. I just want to meet you. So when we ha- we came up for lunch, we met and we, literally he his butt wasn't in the seat warm enough long enough to make it warm. He goes, okay boys, just meet the college president myself. How much you want? I'll give you a thousand dollars. And we had to say we don't want anything, George. It was his go away offer. We want your opinion. Well, you, you would think someone hit him in the head with a two by four. My opinion. He said, nobody ever asked me for my opinion. All they asked for is money. Well, I said, you've been generous since 1986. You've given $500 since 1986. You don't have to give us any more money. You got equity. You got, you're your shareholder. Did yeah. that rock him. So we had a very nice lunch. At the very end, he goes, all right, I'll give you 10000 that's a, at the end. Of, I, that's a yeah, jump. I'll give you ten thousand. I don't want your ten thousand dollars. And you should have seen the look on his face when I said, "I do not want your ten thousand dollars." I called you today to ask your opinion, and that's what I wanted. How are we doing? Many of your kids went to Clinton Community College. Many of your grandkids have gone to Clinton Community College. You're a businessman. You've been here your whole life. How are we doing? He was so absolutely blown away from that conversation that we spent the next five years just getting to know each other and working together. Wow. And to make a long story short, this is, you have to come to one of my seminars about how to, how to raise major gifts. It came down to George making a $2 million unrestricted gift to Clinton Community College based on that tip I got at a conference to say, go back and find out who loves you. Find out who's given to you consecutively. So the moral of the story is go find out who loves you Spending your time instead trying to find someone you can tell them why they ought to love you. Yep. So, yeah, it's a great story. I'd be curious. I don't know if you can say, but like the 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 five-year period, how did you – I mean, even – now I'm now we're talking high performer, you know, the yeah. difference between high performer and order taker, but I'm looking at that okay, I've gotten five hundred dollars from this guy every year. He's he just put ten grand on the table. Yep. That yep. takes some confidence yep. and experience well, it gets, it gets to better. go to say, uh, ten thousand dollars, that sounds nice, but I think no, I, I'm staying yep. true. Yep. I'm not gonna ask you for that. Yep. How'd you, how'd you well, manage that? Actually, how'd you navigate it, it, that whole <laughs> period? You know what? It really was at the point where I got to know him very well. He got to know me very well. And when the time, the, the day that he came, he came up, he, he was a World War II vet. He'd call me. When can I have lunch in your commissary? I'm like, George, it's a cafeteria. It's a commissary. All right, it's a commissary. He came up and we had a conversation. He says, you know, I'd like to give you $2 million. No strings attached. He came forward. Yes. Yep. Yep. And my answer, we'll think about it. We'll let you know. He never expected that. It was on a Thursday. He saw, (laughs) I said, we'll think about it and we'll let you know. He wasn't expecting that at all. So I thought to myself, I'll call him on Monday. I'll give him a little time. Yeah. Because he liked to torture me 
Sure. Obviously, I'm going to torture you. I'm going to needle sure. George a little bit. Sure. So on Monday, I called. Meanwhile, over the weekend, you guys are all like, yo, we got two million. Well, <laughs> so on Monday, I call his office and his assistant says, um, Steve George is very sick and he's in the hospital. No way. Yeah. So I thought, oh my God. I'm trying to joke around with the guy. I said, I got to go see him. He's in the hospital. I don't, I don't know what's the matter with him. So I'm going to leave right now to go see. What, I mean, I really got to know to like the guy. Yeah. So I ran to the bookstore. I'm like, what is in this bookstore that I can grab to bring to this guy? So I found a blanket. It was actually made out of sweatshirt material, like athletic yeah, yeah. sweatshirts. Nice. It's kind of fuzzy on the inside, and had yep. a, it was orange and had a logo of the college, and it's it said smooth and it soft said on Clint the Community College on the outside. So I grabbed the blanket. I go to the hospital. I ask what floor. I go up the elevator. I go down the hall, and I can hear him in his room yelling and screaming at some scrap metal dealer in Long Island about the price of steel. No so I'm way. thinking, well, he can't be that sick. Workhorse. So I walk in the room, and he's got a little desk set up. He's on the phone, and he's ranting and raving and screaming at some price, some Long Island scrap dealer. He motions me to come in. So while he's on the phone, I unwrap the blanket, and I float it up into the air. And as it's coming down on his bed, I'm tucking the corners in. And he stops on the, on the phone. He stops the conversation. He goes, I'll call you back. Hangs the phone up, looks at me. He says, is that blanket for me? I said, yeah. He says, no one's ever bought me a blanket in my life. But the next thing wow. that happened, I, I never predicted. The nurse walks in. She goes, oh, my God. Where'd you get that blanket? I went to Clinton Community College. So for the rest of the week, while he was in the hospital bed, almost every nurse that walked in and said, oh, my God, where did you get that blanket? I went to Clinton Community College. George spent the rest of the week interviewing every one of these nurses about their background, where they grew up, what struggles they had. He learned how Clinton Community College lets anybody in who wants to get a degree, who wants to work, how it changed their life, how it supports their family, how they're fulfilled. So when he got out of the hospital a week later, he calls me. He says, you get your butt down to my attorney's <laughs> office this morning at 10 a.m. because I'm signing the gift agreement. I am more convinced than ever that my $2 million gift, this is a quote, and I forget, I'm more convinced than ever my $2 million gift will have a greater impact at your school than anywhere else based on all the stories you heard from those nurses, based on me grabbing a blanket out of the bookstore, giving it to him in this hospital bed. Wow. Yeah. That, that you couldn't, you couldn't have even planned for that. That's, that's gotta be your token story. I mean, that's like, does it get better than that? I mean, are you shooting I've, for the, the next, I mean, obviously you're always trying to do your best. You know, for, I, I'm not trying job, to be strategic. But, it's just, but when you man, get to know somebody and you build a relationship with something, you know, some, I would have done that for my grandfather. You know, you don't, sure. you don't see these people as a customer, as a client, as a donor, they're people. And in my line of work, I really get to know these people very, very well. And you will too in your business. So you, it's beyond just a transactional relationship. It's relationship fundraising. So I would have done the same thing for my grandfather or my father or anybody else. But I happened, it was just a pure accident that the nurse is coming in talking about Clinton Community College because they oh saw the gosh. blanket. It was a pure accident. That's, it was meant to happen. It was. It was. That, so I've deployed the blanket two more times. <laughs> I have, and both 
So all three times I've gotten major gifts of deploying the blanket. So everybody listening out there, get some blankets and use those. Holy I've actually, smokes. I've given this speech, uh, this story in Washington, D.C. I've gone around the country presenting at these fundraising workshops and saying how, how a $30 blanket secured a $2 million unrestricted gift. There's a, there's a publication called The Chronicle of Philanthropy. It's the sister newspaper to The Chronicle of Higher Education. I mean, it's the holy grail. Yep. So I got a phone call from an, a reporter after it went public and it was all in the front page news how this businessman from Keysville gave $2 million unrestricted to a community college. So this reporter called and she was doing a national story. She interviewed me and four other um, stories around the country of donors who made very large gifts. And the title of her story was called No Strings Attached. And she was, I just got to ask you, how, why did he give it to you with no strings attached? Most donors give you a laundry list of how they want the money used. Especially the larger it gets. Sure, absolutely. I said, it's simple. He trusted us. He knew we would be good stewards of his money. He never once told us what to do with that money, ever. And he knew that no matter what we did, we would make the best decision and be good stewards of his investment. That's amazing. Yeah, so that, story, that story about coast to coast. Wow. And I mean, I'm, I would assume that's the more building. Yes. So, so I don't know if you can talk about. Oh yeah, it, absolutely. So would, you know, an yeah. honor. So here's a guy who never finished high school, who learned how to become an investor on his own, and and become this generous to our college. He would always say, you know, every once in a while when he wasn't goofing around and picking on me, he'll the needle the crap out of me. He said, I always wanted to wear a pointy hat. I never graduated from high school. Never went to college. I'm like, geez, this guy could teach a class on business 101. This guy could teach a class on investing. So we had him come up one day and teach a class, be a guest speaker in our business class. He loved it. He was so nervous not knowing how the students sure. would deal. They were respectful. They asked him great questions. And he kept saying, if I was you and if I had been in college, I would have learned from this professor. I wouldn't have made the mistakes I made. I've lost millions for dumb mistakes. I wouldn't have done that. Make a long story short, we wanted to honor him one year with an honorary degree. So we had George come to graduation to wear a cap and gown, to wear a pointy hat, to be on stage to receive an honorary degree in business from the college that he loves so much. It was a great, great. That's fantastic. Yeah, great event. I actually, I do remember meeting George Moore. the very first, I was, I can't really take credit for this event um, because it was brand new. But when I was hired, uh, so back up, I graduated from St. Lawrence mm-hmm. and I wanted to be a teacher and I couldn't get a teaching job for a long list of reasons. They weren't available and spent the entire summer thereafter looking for a job, landed my first job as the district executive for the Boy Scouts in the Adirondack region. And day one was, I'll never forget this, January 4th of that year. We got the first meeting, I first business meeting I ever had. My boss was there and he showed me to this committee, the steering committee, and he said, we are planning the Good Scout Award dinner. Yeah, I was at that dinner. I know, yes. where, I know where you're and going with this. I, was I there. knew nothing about fundraising. I didn't know how this works. But for those of, those of you listening that aren't aware of it, it's a dinner that the Adirondack 
region and many districts across the country use this model, but they honor uh, a local business leader or figure or philanthropist that um, has done something pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. And I think this was right after he had given that gift. Yes, because I was at your dinner when you honored George. And and, uh, I remember um, it very well. Yeah, so we honored George Moore and I had the opportunity to meet him before he passed. Yep. Yep. I remember that. And you know, um, you know, it's so, interesting, Ryan. I mean, I, I want to put a plug in. I mean, George passed away know, five years ago now, but his family is still, his daughter, his, his sons, his grandsons are still just as interested and just as vested in Clinton Community College as their grandfather. They continue to meet with us. They continue to ask us, what can we do? How can we help? Um, it's absolutely amazing. We talked earlier about some intergenerational support. Uh, it's amazing how now I'm working very closely with his two grandsons, Tanner and Troy, who by themselves alone are great entrepreneurs. They, Crushing they, it right They now. inherited a great business sense from their their, their parents and grandparents. Uh, um, they're doing wonderful work. I've had the opportunity to meet Troy. Yeah. And the stuff they're doing is really great, cool. Great. And smart young fellas. They're going to do very well in this world. Entrepreneurs, business focused. Yes. But community focused. And savvy. And very community. They understand that they need the community that, you know, all ships rise with the tide. If the community is strong, it makes their business strong. Yep. Um, So recently I've been working very closely with George's grandsons. I got to tell you, it's an honor. And I love working with those guys because they are sharp, sharp, young professionals. And that's just an example of the impact you can have by being patient. Absolutely. And not blowing it and taking... Taking the, the $100 go-away uh, gift. Or all George right, boys, would, you want yeah. $1,000? How much you want, boys? I'll give you $1,000. I will never forget that. Holy smokes. He couldn't believe all we wanted was his opinion. Wow. You know, that actually makes me think of uh, sort of a general business concept. Um, you and I have talked about it, but we talk about big gifts versus small gifts, and... The rule of 80, yeah, 20. 80, 80, 20 rule. Yeah. A lot of people are talking about this. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of hot topic, hot yeah. button yeah. catchphrase. But for those who aren't familiar with the rule of 80, 20, why don't you explain it to everybody? Sure. I mean, in generally speaking, and you can probably apply this to a lot of different industries, a lot of businesses. So in my world, in the fundraising world, the rule is um, 80% of the gifts that will come in in support of your college comes from 20% of your donors. And I've been doing this now for 17 years. And for the first 15 years, I fought that. I thought that can't be true. There's no way that can't be true. And I go to all these conferences and seminars, how we're supposed to engage that young graduate, that young person that just graduated from college, who by the way, are a hundred grand in debt. And they have all these strategies, how to get a $5 from them online for a $5 Friday. Okay, if I had a staff of 100 people, I could maybe get let somebody dedicated to do that. Small shops like mine, we don't have that. So, yes, you, you still do things for them. You have a reunion and you keep them posted what's going on on campus. I have to spend my time with my top 20% of the yep. people who have already committed to Clinton Community College. I know who they are. I can call them. I can tell them what's going on, good, bad, and ugly. I mean, it's no secret that higher education is struggling right now with enrollment. Support is declining from the state of New York. We're struggling to try to be entrepreneurial and do new things. 
be upfront with these investors. They already get it. And they're going to say, how can we help? So it is absolutely as true as the nose on my face that the 80-20 rule works. It is absolutely true. Yep. And I think that applies to a small business owner just getting off the ground. And it applies to a major corporation. You just, it's, it's a natural, it makes total sense. Yeah. You can't, there's resources are limited and you just can't maintain relationships. You can't do it with all. That many clients or yep. donors or yep. customers that are, that are at a, a level of quality, mm-hmm. uh, that will produce, you know, further, you know, and the biggest results. misnomer is, you know, we don't want to discourage that young alum to give $5. I mean, I tell the alumni, I mean, if every graduate we have, let me get 12,000 graduates. If every single one of them gave $5 a year, that's a nice chunk of revenue. For sure. So people think, well, what's my $5? It's no big deal. They're not going to miss it. No, every little bit adds up. So as much as uh, in my office, I spend my time working on major gifts, planned gifts, Mm-hmm. Um, capital campaigns. It's working with that 20%. My associate in the office works with other folks to try to get that $5 gift. And, you know, um, everybody who gives something, believe it or not, adds up. We heard that today from the director of North Country Public Radio. Yep. How yep. when they have their membership drive, their gifts range from $5 to $50,000. But the vast majority is $20, $25. When you're all done, you add it up. Everybody giving something goes way above and beyond. You will make yeah. your goal every time if yeah. everybody just gives something. Is it Ellen Rocco. Yeah, yeah, she's, yeah. She's I, wonderful. Throwing out a name there, but yeah, yeah. Maybe I should ask her to be on the podcast. She would be fantastic. That would she's be cool. Got some great. Give me a good reason to go life visit experience. St. Lawrence because they're yep. out. They're out. That's by right in your backyard. Lawrence. Yeah, but you know, I I like their model of uninterrupted programming. I think that is a example of valuing the product that you're giving and not not being too salesy yeah you're valuing your listeners in this case she knows i'm a member i should know that personally but i'm a member i support them um boy i hate it when you interrupt my program to ask me for you know to call in and pledge ten dollars i'll just give it to you. you don't have to ask me again i mean i'll do it every year so she's realized that when they took that leap of faith to say, hey, this is the time of year we need your help. We're not going to interrupt your program. Just help us out. They meet their goal every time. It's incredible. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I, I love listening to uh, NCPR. Um, I want to do two things. Yes. I want to um, get some closing or sending remarks. Yeah, because we can go on for another two hours. Oh, if, yeah. Free ranging. Especially like if you get yeah. me going. On, yeah. yeah uh, on. You know, a, a takeaway message for the listeners as it pertains to fundraising. But I also want to give you an opportunity to talk a little bit about the IAM. Ah, yes. So let's talk about the IAM. Yep. And then we'll wrap this up with okay. some closing remarks. Well, so what you're referring so tell to? Tell me, tell me, tell for all the listeners that may or may not be aware. I'm sure a lot of people locally will. Be, know all about the I, IAM. I hope so. We spent but, a lot of money advertising. Yeah, it. but there may be some listeners that are not from the area or are from the area that aren't aware of it. And this is a great opportunity to talk about how it got there. Yes. Talk about what it's about. Yep. And where you're going. Okay. Um, 
there have been in communities around the country um, that started building these technology centers, a place where um, young people, high school students can go to learn some technology, a skill that they could use in advanced manufacturing. Um, you know, what's interesting is people have such a misnomer about today's manufacturing. You know, they remember their grandfather would come home from work or their father and come home with greasy overalls. They spent eight hours a day with an oil, a grease gun, oiling a, a pulley all day. Today's manufacturing is high tech. It is absolutely amazing. And there's so many good careers out there, great jobs out there. But the challenge is to getting today's young people to realize you can take your skill set. You like to game, you like to program, you like computers, you like robots. We have all that in advanced manufacturing. So what was needed was a place, uh, Clinton Community College has been offering classes in mechanical technology and electrical for years. We had 7,000 square feet of space that we taught this. Uh, we did a feasibility study. The Clinton Community College Foundation teamed up with the Development Corporation. Um, the executive director, who's, who's just now retired, is uh, Paul Grasso. Great I dude. Will, I will forever give him credit. This was his idea to create an advanced manufacturing institute. He approached me one day over scrambled eggs and bacon at Gus's restaurant to say, I have an idea. Would Clinton Community College Foundation team up with a development corporation, each of us putting up $10,000 to hire a firm to come in here and do a feasibility study? So for $20,000, we hired a company to come in to say, is Clinton County ripe for an advanced manufacturing center? And the feedback was by far resoundingly yes. Employers are being attracted to come across the board from Canada or from across the world, like Norse Titanium. You know, we give them all these great opportunities with, with property and, and, you know, and taxes and tax cuts. Their biggest fear is this is all great, but where am I going to find my employees? They need to be trained. Where do I find them? So under Paul's leadership and, and, and the college and this feasibility study, the timing was perfect. Many things what you and I talk about is timing. Timing is everything. Timing is everything. The State University of New York back in 2014, I think it was, put $50 million on a table called the SUNY 2020 grant and told all campuses, here's $50 million. Give us your best ideas. What would you do to enhance economic development in your community? So we took the feasibility study. We put this grant together. We submitted the grant. Um, we thought to ourselves when we added it all up, like it was $12.7 million. I thought there's no way we're going to get all of this. Rarely when you apply for a grant, you get all of it. We waited and we waited and finally the word came through. We got all of it. We couldn't believe it. We're like, That's damn, crazy. we should have asked for $25 million. Yeah, right. <laughs> we asked for twelve seven. So we, we built the facility. We built it with input from local manufacturing, uh, uh, project managers, plant managers, engineers, the end users. We asked them to be part of this. We listened to them. Uh, Gary Douglas from the Chamber of Commerce, an absolute leader in economic development, Guide yep. us, told us who to go talk to. Yep. Uh, Paul said, you got to get on a plane and get out of the North Country and go talk to other institutions. So we went to Kenosha, Wisconsin to see Gateway Technical College. It was known across the country as the gold standard for advanced manufacturing centers. Went there, talked to their president, talked to their administration, talked to their faculty. This is what we would do different. This wow. is what you need to do. 
um, went to Snap-on. Snap-on is a great tool company. Yep. Headquartered in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Met with them. Met. I had dinner with the Nash with the president of Snap-on, and all the national VPs to help us to guide us to say this is what you need to have in your facility. Took their advice, built the building, opened it up two years ago, and I'm so proud to say we have the state of the art facility. When we did the ribbon cutting. The senior VP from Snap-on, who spends 250 days a year on the road traveling, I think there's 325 of these advanced manufacturing centers in across the country. The, across the country. So all he does is visit them. He stood up at their ribbon cutting. He said, I can look out and tell you folks right now, Clinton Community College is now the new gold standard for advanced manufacturing facilities. People don't realize that. No. I mean, I'm sure there are business leaders who are engaged and communicate you know with you and your team and they you know there's been a lot of marketing around it but i think the average high school student doesn't realize how freaking awesome that is <laughs> they don't and we literally bang our heads on the wall every day i just want to get out of plattsburgh yeah you know we have employers that come to us and say boy we loved the last group of students we hired can you send us 10 more no we don't have 10 more we have great, high-paying, high-tech jobs for men and women. We need more women in STEM. We're ready for them right here. They can walk out the door. Many of our students who graduate from the IAM have two or three job offers before they ever walk across the stage. That's incredible. How nice would it be to know there's companies fighting for you? Now, we're not talking graduating from Harvard and Yale. And, you know, we're talking Clinton Community College. You will have two to three employers fighting for you to join them at a very high competitive salary. All you got to do, and I tell students, a two-year degree, if you take out spring break, summer break, winter break, all the breaks, it's 16 months. Give me 16 months out of your life post yep. high school. Yep. Let us give you the skill set and the training, and that will open up the doors you have never imagined. How doors will open up for you. And it's affordable. It's affordable. Absolutely. We have the new Excelsior scholarship. We have scholarships through the through my foundation. I tell students, never let money be the factor to stop you from doing this. Mm-hmm. We will find the money. What you need to do is dedicate 16 months of your life to do this. I can't help you with that. If you do that, the payoff will be tremendous. And, and you know what? We're not getting them. It's very, very frustrating. They're not coming. Interesting. You know, why do you think that is? Why? I mean, obviously, there's the there's the social pressure to there's social to, pressure. Yeah, and, there's and the, I remember when I graduated from Beekmantown, a local high school. Yeah. I remember our I was in the band, and the band would always play Pomp and Circumstance yeah. live yeah. at at the school for graduation. And I remember being a a sophomore and a junior, and seeing the seniors walk across the stage and then announce mm-hmm. publicly yeah. what they were doing, where they're going to college. And when yeah. you're a 15, 16, 17-year-old, maybe 18-year-old, looking at that and social status is high on your yep. priority list yep. for most. Yeah. Certainly was for me. You're starting to make decisions about, boy, I want to have the coolest announcement. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to Plattsburgh. Yeah. Yep. I'm not going to Clinton Community. Yep. And you didn't even do any research on what they have exactly. available for you. So that's a problem for sure. That's a problem. Are there, are there other problems that you think you're well facing i think too? what's happening is i'll give a plug to our sister institution at cb tech boces 
I mean, I remember when I was in school, boy, those BOCE kids, you know, they're, they leave in the afternoon to go to BOCES and what are they going to do? And I got to tell you, these kids coming out of BOCES we, and CB Tech, we have des- designed a pathway. So kids that are mechanically inclined, who like to work with their hands, boy, come through CB Tech, get your start there, transfer to Clinton. It's a seamless pathway. We'll give you credit for the time you spend at CB Tech. Come right through our program, do 16 months at Clinton Community College, and you will have companies fighting over you. Yep. We have built the pathway, what I call the yellow brick road. We've built it, but you got to take the first step to do it. So, and I think there's issues now that the unemployment rate is so low in Clinton County currently. Here we are in uh, 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 March of 2019. We're running around 3.8%. Anybody who wants to work is working. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got to realize it's even lower in Vermont. It's, it's like two percent. I sure. just saw. So, but you got to stop the instant gratification of twenty bucks an hour. Come get your degree, and we can bump that up to thirty, thirty-five an hour. Yep. Over sixteen months of investment and, and time. These jobs, there's opportunity to grow in those jobs. You can and, go anywhere in the country. Oh my gosh! There's so much opportunity to grow. We have the only wind turbine technology program in the Northeast, wind energy and turbine technology. I have alumni today working throughout Europe, working on these offshore wind farms, working all across the country, making an insane amount of money for going to Clinton Community College for two years, and our tuition is $5,000 a year. 5200 I think we're up to now. Well, sure. Let's just make these round sure. numbers. So for a $10,000 investment over two years, Assuming you don't get a scholarship. Assuming you don't get a scholarship. Yeah, we're going to scholarship the heck out of you. Um, that's a pretty good investment on your money with a very short investment time time frame. That's crazy. But sometimes we, we literally just spend meeting time saying, what do we have to do to dispel this misnomer about careers in advanced manufacturing? Hmm. We don't have the answer. Someone who comes up with the answer, we're going to build a bronze statue of them out in the Oval of Clinton Community <laughs> College and put their name on it if we can figure out yeah. what do we need to do to have you take a look and come in. That's, a, that's yeah. I, I don't know. The, we don't I, have the answer. What I can tell you is we've spent the last two years bringing middle school students in, tech, tech students. They love it. You can see their wheels going. I think there was a gap in time. I mean, when I was in high school, we had shop class. Did you, yeah. have wood, did you have wood shop when you were in high school? As I was in middle school, they had it. And they, as I got from se- sixth, seventh grade, they had it. And then eighth grade, it was like, sorry, they we're cutting phased this out. phased it out. Yeah. So kids that want to work it's with their bad. hands, they phased it out. So I think that was a, a, a missed opportunity. So now we're going back to these kids saying, you know what? I don't want to be in a classroom any longer than you did. If I Looking at myself again. As a senior in high school, I had jumped all over this opportunity to go to the Institute for Advanced Manufacturing. Mm. I'm a farm kid. I like working with my hands. And the way we structure, if it's a five-hour course, you spend one hour in a classroom, four hours out on the floor working with $3 million in the most advanced equipment you ever saw in your life. I like that. That's awesome. And you know my test phobia I talked about earlier in this podcast? The final exam is they give you a piece of equipment. It's a blank board, and they say build an elevator. You got eight hours, build an elevator. It's actually a hydraulic and pneumatic trainer that you build using PLCs, programmable logic controllers and electronics, and you literally build on the board an elevator. You take for granted, when you walk on an elevator, you can push first floor, second, third, third floor, basement, 
you got to build a wire all these different ways to push a button. You don't think about that. You got to make the hydraulics or the pneumatics raise and lower that elevator. It's incredible knowledge. That's and, the final and skills exam. And yeah, not, that's, not pick up that's your number awesome. two pencil and fill in the little circle A, B, C, or D. Build an elevator. So yeah, I would have been a perfect candidate for that. I want to give you a quick plug. Tell tell the listeners a little bit too about your project with the trailer. <laughs> yes, I can't take credit for the trailer. I got to give full credit where it's due. Good colleague of mine, Paul D. Dominicus, who I worked with at Clinton. Um, came up with the idea of taking our equipment, putting it into a 20-foot enclosed, beautifully enclosed trailer and taking it to the high schools. We have high schools that are a little bit farther out of our area that can't come. Um, bring the trailer to them. Bring some of our equipment to them. Let them come in. You know, I don't know if I we'll actually physically teach inside the trailer. What it's kind of, of th- equipment's in this trailer? Oh, we got our 3D printers. We're, we're, we... Uh, we, we we're trying to get a brand new virtual reality welding machine because the one I have is fantastic. But I learned now that you're not supposed to transport it. <laughs> I've been transporting a little bit. Whoops. They said it's not designed, <laughs> Steve, to be jostled around. It's $60,000 piece of equipment. You don't want to break it. But You, you know, just have to get a $60,000 gift. No big yeah, deal. Yeah, well, I'm working know. on that. And then, um, so robots, we got a brand, yes, we've got a bunch of robots. We're going to put robots in this trailer, 3D printing in this trailer. I'm trying to get some laser engravers. we got some uh, cross-carve car, uh, equipment in there. Something to get students excited about careers. The trailer is designed. It's got solar panels on the roof. We can literally park it in a hay meadow, make our own electricity, and not plug in the wall to use our equipment. That's incredible. We're going to run it off of battery power. Um, we can plug it in. I mean, it, it's beautifully decorated. Um, we're excited to be able to take this thing. Uh, Ryan, if I may, a 30-second side story. Do it. Going back to my friends uh, Tanner and Troy Barabee, George Moore's grandsons, and their mom, we were giving them a tour of the IAM, and they kept saying, boy, Grandpa would have loved this. Grandpa would have loved this. He always believed in teaching welding and machining and how to use your hands, and he would have loved this. And I showed them the trailer. They loved the idea of bringing this trailer to the schools. And then um, I mentioned in passing, yeah, I've got to go out and try to fundraise to get a truck you know, to pull this thing because i got nothing to pull it with. At the, at the end of the meeting, probably an hour later, um, Tanner called me. He goes, well, on the ride back to Keysville, I had a discussion with the family. We want to buy the truck for you. We want to donate the money for you to buy a brand new Chevy Silverado, three-quarter ton Duramax diesel with an Allison transmission quad cab to decorate, to, to cover it with logos, to match your trailer, to bring to the schools because we believe in what you're doing. We believe that by you introducing this to middle school kids and thinking about careers, we, that's, that's what we support. We believe in it. We want to be partners. So Ultimately, because you didn't take the $1,000 yeah, check, you the built grandpa. a relationship instead. Now and, working with the second and, now you're and working the third with the generation. generations. Through. And I didn't ask him for the truck either. I didn't ask him for the truck. I just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to go out and fundraise for it. It's a great lesson. So it's a great lesson. It talks about, again, to circle back around, relationship fundraising. Yep. These people are want to be investors. Treat them with respect. Bring them into the inner circle, discuss everything with them, and they will come back and support you again and again and again. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts for fundraising or that you want to want to share? Yeah, one of my favorite one of my favorite things. It's my favorite three letters is OPM. OPM stands for Other People's Money. 
So just because you go to meet with somebody and you need the money today and you hope that they give you and you want them to give you money today, they probably won't because it's other people's money. It's their money. They will give it to you when they're ready. They will give it to you when they're confident. They will give it when it's best for them, not what's best for you. Mm-hmm. And what really burns me is we hear appeals for organizations saying, oh, we're going to close the doors next month because we can't pay our bills unless you give us a donation. Really? Boy, that's something I want to spend my money on. Terrible You're going cl- to close the doors next month if you don't get my donation? Um, no, I don't think so. Why don't you buy stock on the NASDAQ of my company because we're going to close next month, Yeah. Um, but we need your donation. You know what? We would it, love for you to cover our salaries yeah, for another it, it, six it, months it or a year. It doesn't work that way, people. Even if that's the case, you can't do that. Who would do that? Who in their right mind would do it? So, yeah, that's OPM. OPM. It's other people's money. And my other, just this, I'm a simple kid. I'm a farm kid. Boil it down. OPM, other people's money, and you follow the love, you find the money. It's that simple. Like the little old lady on the donor panel who gave away millions, who said, I know you work for fine organizations. That's great. But I won't give to those. I will give to the symphony or World War II airplanes. That's my hot button. You yep. find that, I'm all yours. Steve, this has been awesome. This I know, it's getting great. dark. We started yeah. out here, I'm looking at your window, it was <laughs> bright and sunny, now the lights are coming on. Yeah. It's dark yeah. in here. We're going to wrap this sucker up. Hey, thank you again, Steve Frederick, VP of Institutional Advancement at Clinton Community College and a good friend of mine. I've had a blast. It's been a pleasure. Yes, and thank also, you. And uh, also brought to you by our sponsor. Yes, Open Gate Farmstead. If you want some good eggs, okay, the ones that taste better, they, uh, they're healthier, I believe. They, they came from a local source. Uh, what's their mantra here? Let me find this. Uh, yes. Happy animals make the healthiest and tastiest product. I think it's true. I've, I've uh, bought their eggs today, actually. So give it a go. If you tell them you listen to this podcast... Uh, they will take a dollar off your first order of eggs. Consider it Open Gate Farmstead. Check them out on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.